The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 HD1 FM Raleigh. It is April the 5th, 2017. The time is 5.01, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Weaver. And I'm Marissa Jordan, bringing you all this week's episode of Eye on the Triangle. We've got some great content for you all today, but before that, we have a quick message for all of our listeners. From now on, we will be broadcasting our show once every two weeks. Yep, bi-monthly, uh, just to keep our content fresh and up to speed. Anyway, back to our content. Nick brings you his Modest Mouth review. This week, he takes a look at the much-anticipated new Shins album, Heartworms. Anything to say on that, Nick? Yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed that album. Spoilers. Um, it's It's grown on me since I wrote the review, but it's... It's going to be a matter of personal preference. After that, or I guess first, we have Ricky Dow's bringing you an opinion piece, and she's discussing Tommy Lauren and her political legacy. Uh, but first, our very own Marissa brings you an informative piece on recent discoveries in the geological field. If nothing else, 2017 has proved to be a great year for our inner paleontologist. Let your childhood Jurassic Park dreams run wild. Partially due to being enrolled in a historical geology course this semester, I have been paying attention to all the fantastic discoveries made in the past four months. We may not all be as fine-tuned to geologic happenings as I am, so I thought I'd share a few of the coolest discoveries with you guys. This year, the world's largest dinosaur tracks were found in Aborigine land in northwestern Australia. Now, if you're not freaking out about how rad this discovery is, let me explain. Footprints are incredibly helpful fossils to paleontologists as you can learn a lot about a dinosaur's lifestyle or where and when it lived based on the prints. A footprint can also help a paleontologist determine how fast a dinosaur moved, and it's not overly complicated. I even replicated the original experiment in my lab class last week. You can also determine if a dinosaur lived in a wet river environment or if it lived in groups or ran solo. In the case of the recent discovery, the footprints belong to the only known Australian stegosaur and are indicative of a swampy environment 120 million years ago. The same site hosts a 16-mile stretch near Dampier Peninsula that carry the tracks of 21 different types of dinos with some of the biggest known prints. In addition, each print is a whopping six feet long. The prints have been sacred to the Aborigine people living in the area, the Gularabulu, who believe the footprints belong to the Dreamtime creator. Was anyone else strangely fascinated by T-Rex as a child? Well then great, you're going to be intrigued by my next topic. Scientists from Carthage College have put together the best representation of what a Tyrannosaurus Rex's facial skin might have looked like and worked. 
the scientists working on the project used a closely related species to the mighty T-Rex and have concluded that based on the texture of the bone in its face, it would have been covered in flat, sensitive scales like those of modern crocodiles. The scientists who worked on the study, including Thomas Carr, who led it, used data from a previous study from 2009 led by Tobin Hieronymus of Northeast Ohio Medical University on the facial tissue of horned dinosaur faces. Carr's study mirrored Hieronymus's findings in that the facial tissue of T. rex closely resembled the skin of crocodiles and some birds. The skulls of all of these creatures are filled with foramina, or tiny holes that bolster nerves and blood vessels needed to have very sensitive skin and touch. This sensitivity would have been crucial to how the dinosaur obtained its dinner, as a scavenger or as a hunter, which is still under debate today. I'm sure that you have all heard this fact at one point or another in your education. Life began on Earth 3.5 billion years ago. Well, your old AP biology textbooks might be outdated with this new finding. A new finding was published in Nature in March that says the oldest fossil could date back to 3.7 billion years ago. That may not sound too impressive to the non-biologist or geologist, but 3.7 billion years ago, the Earth was not a great place to live, and there was constant bombardment of meteorites as the Earth had no atmosphere. Matt Dodd, a biogeochemist at the University College in London, has found what looks like the earliest kind of bacteria near ancient geothermal vents. The rocks contain the right chemistry to host life, with lots of carbon and phosphorus present in the area. Findings like Dodd's could also help us on the quest for life on other planets, if we can discover how ancient organisms thrived in the tough Precambrian environments. However, there is some doubt about the discovery. These rocks are very old. There's a possibility that over Earth's history, they could have been deformed. In addition, other causes like precipitating minerals could have caused these so-called fossils. Hopefully we'll find out in the near future. Well, I hope you have all enjoyed my geologic spiel. I would always encourage all of our listeners out there to continue learning about geology and Earth history, as it's often a topic we don't talk about after fourth grade, but there's so much to learn, with new discoveries being made all the time, not to mention that geology lends itself to excellent puns. If you'd like to know more about geology, I would suggest taking a geology class here at NC State, especially historical geology if you liked my piece today. But if you don't have time to take extra classes, you can always check out the Natural Resources Library at Jordan Hall or check the National Geographic, as they always have good stuff. Well, I hope I didn't bore you all too much. I tried to keep it shorter than the geologic timescale. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. On this week's opinion segment of Eye on the Triangle, we focus in on Tommy Lahren's messy public social media battle between her and her employer, The Blaze Network. Tommy Lahren has been a household name during the past year due to her controversial and inflammatory opinions during the 2016 election. Lately, though, she's been in hot water after making an appearance on The View and taking what seemed to be a pro-choice stance on abortion. Here's what Tommy had to say while she was a guest on The View. No, I'm pro-choice, and here's why. I am a constitutional, you know, someone that loves the Constitution. I am someone that's for limited government, and so I can't sit here and be a hypocrite and say I'm for limited government, but I think that the government should decide what women do with their bodies. I can sit here and say that as a Republican, and I can say, you know what, I'm for limited government, so stay out of my, my guns, and you can stay out of my body as well. So I think it's... Well, you need uh, to go out and speak to women about that. I know, I really did. She makes her stance on abortion pretty clear. This, however, is a complete 180-degree switch from her views on abortion that she made clear on her show nearly three months ago. She called abortion murder and referred to many pro-choicers as baby killers. The 
choicers are supposed to be about rare and safe abortions. That's how they avoid sounding like straight-up baby killers by acknowledging abortion is not a positive thing and a difficult choice. Then we have Lena freaking Dunham out there wishing she could have murdered a fetus, wishing for the option to kill your child doesn't exactly say much about the cause, her character, or the pro-choice movement. Now, both fans and critics alike of the online media personality have been accusing Tommy of hypocrisy for her wishy-washy stance on the subject. Ever since her change of heart, it was reported that Laren was suspended from her job at The Blaze, and rumors have been circulating about whether or not she's being fired or banned permanently from the network. As mentioned before, Laren has actually been in the news because of a public social media battle between her and her employer, Glenn Beck of The Blaze Network. After her appearance on The View and the following controversy, Tommy tweeted a series of tweets, one of which saying, I have moderate, conservative, and libertarian views. I'm human. I will never apologize to anyone for being an independent thinker. Beck, the man who gave Tommy her first shot at the blaze, actually took a shot at Tommy by calling out her complete and total support of conservative President Donald Trump during his campaign. He quoted her tweet saying, Wait, libertarian views? Help me out here. There's Trump care, stimulus, and his executive orders. Trump is anything but libertarian. Hashtag intellectual honesty. Not to be outdone, Tommy fired back with another tweet saying, I speak my truth. If you don't like it, tough. I will always be honest and stand in my truth. Now, personally, I don't like Tommy Laren. I watched her during the entire presidential campaign as she stirred up division with her various modes of hate speech. I still think that the way she thinks and talks is highly problematic and that she needs to work on how she delivers her opinions. But I will say that I hold a certain amount of respect for Tommy. And not just because she and I agree that abortion should be a choice left up to each individual woman. I respect Tommy on one hand because she speaks her mind unabashedly. While I may not like the things she says, I can appreciate her determination to say it anyway. She doesn't care that her boss is pro-life. And she doesn't care that the job that butters her bread and brings home the bacon is a conservative news network. She asserted that she was pro-choice nonetheless. Even after being suspended from her job, she stuck to her guns and stood by her opinion, no matter who was against it. I think that could be considered quite an admirable quality. On the other hand, I respect Tommy because she chose to grow. I won't call her a hypocrite for changing her mind about her opinion. It's not wishy-washy to revise your own beliefs after hearing other inputs. She's not fake for deciding that she wants to think a different way than she did three months ago. She is actually doing what every human being should strive to do in their lifetime, and that is grow. Granted, she still has a lot more growing to do, but she is taking a step in the right direction, which is all I could possibly ask for. In the midst of her Twitter rant, Tommy also offered this piece of advice. Shatter your echo chambers. It's a risk worth taking. Engage with people who don't think like you. Open your mind, but stand for your values. I think this is a sign that Tommy is working on growing as an individual. If she seriously believes in her own advice, then I look forward to seeing what the future holds for her. But for now, with her job at the Blaze coming to a close and no future job offers in sight, she gets to feel what it's like to be a lazy, unemployed millennial, just like the rest of us. But hey, that's just what I say. Do you agree or have a different opinion? 
Sound off on our Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT or our Eye on the Triangle Facebook page and share your thoughts. Until next time, this has been Ricky Dowles of Eye on the Triangle. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. few weeks now. Actually, for about a month. But it's the only release I've cared about since January, so our fate is sealed. Today's album is Heartworms by The Shins. I'll go ahead and skip the About the Artist section since I think just about everyone knows their story at this point. All that you need to know is it's been a while since their last album. But after a long hiatus of approximately five years, the band is back with a fifth album to add to their repertoire. As is the case with their previous album as well, the band lineup has changed almost completely outside of lead singer and founding member James Mercer. And again, similar to their last album, the new album Heartworms is a near-complete departure from its former effort, Port of Morrow. Over the years, fans of The Shins have been treated with a continually changing musical aesthetic and vibe, but no departure seemed quite as radical as that of Port of Morrow, where the group traded a folksy, down-to-earth indie rock sound for a more highly produced, electronic-influenced indie pop outfit. With Heartworms, The Shins have indicated that this departure will be final. Indeed, there is no return to form to be found on this album. There's barely even a continuance of the sounds and themes present on Port of Morrow, a semi-somber album with a fluid touch of life and the sounds of eclectic synth mixed with conventional rhythmic sections and light guitar instrumentation. Heartworms appears to be an attempt to revitalize the band's sound, though only time will tell if it's successful in doing so. The album ventures into a new environment and mood for the Shins, straying away from darker poetic or nostalgic tones and experimenting more with a funky, zany, and sometimes wild touch. The percussion and overall rhythmic accompaniment, followed by song structure, is entirely more frenetic and lively, with faster pacing overall and less typical indie folk-sounding drum work. The post-production on this album also makes the stylistic change much more apparent, with different levels of reverb and effects work, as well as new synth elements that play strong to the retro revival scene. Seen specifically in bands like Cymbals Eat Guitars, for example, this album revives musical practices from 80s synth-pop as well as other scenes and integrates them into the song seamlessly to create something new and in a class of its own. Is Heartworms going to taste the success of prior albums? It's hard to tell. For one thing, fans of classic Shins will still be left wanting more of that O-Inverted-World-era sound. Though bands should always strive to innovate, there's a point to be made about straying so far from your original sound that you've left a void in its place for fans of that era. This new version of the Shins is essentially a completely different band, after all. And to add to that, though it may be that, to paraphrase the weird divide, memory of the band's old albums has simply grown warmer given time, these new tracks don't seem quite as memorable. They don't jump out in quite the way that charming classics like Australia or Turn a Square do. Perhaps they're less catchy, or perhaps they're too fresh, but either way, something about them doesn't seem quite as endearing. On the other hand, the Shins still have a sound wholly in a class of its own, extremely original, and unlike much else out there. Their lyrics are still endearing, and Mercer's voice is still as enchanting as ever. It's hard to tell immediately if this new album is a great revolution, or destined to be pushed to the back of the band's catalog as a result of disinterest. When it comes right down to it though, regardless of the band's prior sound, this is a solid album. Perhaps not amazing, but certainly worth a listen. It's pleasant, high quality, and there are some definitely great high moments on there. Maybe it won't be your favorite album, but give it a shot anyways. You might be surprised. That's all for today. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lens, Klask, Floatstar, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. 
As always, you can send a review request by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org or by sending a tweet to at wknc underscore EOT. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Welcome back. You are listening to Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC. The time is 517, and I'm Nick Weaver, still, uh, as I was at the beginning of the hour. And I'm Marissa Jordan, still. North Carolina lawmakers finally partially repealed the highly unpopular HB2 or bathroom bill. Governor Cooper has been trying to repeal the law since he came into office, and he's finally made some progress. The bill passed through the House with with 70 to 48 votes last Thursday after a heated debate. Cooper has recognized that there are limitations on the new bill as it does not completely repeal all of the effects of HB2. Governor Cooper stated that it was not a perfect solution. Part of the reason the bill was repealed was to please the NCAA who said they would not allow North Carolina to host another championship through 2022 if they did not repeal the bill by last Thursday. LGBT advocates are still calling for for a full repeal as members of their community will still face the brunt of the discrimination stemming from the bill. Mm-hmm. In sports, UNC Chapel Hill claimed this year's NCAA basketball title, beating Gonzaga 71-65. to uh, Who saw that coming? I did not. I didn't see any of the scores coming. My brackets were a mess. Thanks to the Tar Heels' vigorous second-half efforts and defensive strategies to win the game, Students at Chapel Hill took to Franklin Street to celebrate the team's victory. This is the university's sixth title. That street was a mess. Uh, I saw my friend's Snapchat photos of it. And good God, if you think Hillsboro is bad, don't go to Franklin Street after a tournament win. In addition to our schedule change, by the way, we are adding a few more interest topics to our show. This week we will be debuting our first talking topic today. Uh, We're still working on a title for that, but yeah. (laughs) Working title. Anyway, so recently I heard that a cat cafe will be opening up in Raleigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the idea of couples Sarah Newton and Arthur Haley. They're going to be calling it the Per Cup Cafe, which I enjoy. I always love pun titles for coffee shops or just in general, you know. In addition, uh, Newton is actually a retired Carolina ballet dancer who has been working in the food industry in Raleigh to prepare herself to open the shop. Yeah, which is a really interesting switch to make in careers. Yeah, I mean, hey, if I could be her, I would. That's a great, great life story right there. Hey, if I could own a coffee shop, I would. That sounds great. Uh, The coffee shop, all cats will come from Meow House Cat Rescue, which saves kitties from high kill shelters. Uh, So they'll be, you know, sheltering cats that are kind of in danger of of, of being killed. And and, And that need a good house, you know, or a good place to live. Lots of attention from people in the cafe and stuff. That's going to be nice. Uh, it's going to be the first cat cafe in NC, but one is also going to open in Wilmington. And did you know that the idea of a cat cafe originated in Japan? I was reading up on this earlier, and in Japan, they actually have a bunch of kind of cafes where they have different animals. There's even like a sheep cafe where you can pet sheep. Oh my god, sheep. are there dog cafes? Are there puppy cafes? There are dog cafes. Oh my god, I want a corgi cafe. There's even a dog cafe in California, actually, which is... Okay, bring those here. <laughs> I don't care about the cats. Bring bring me dogs. Bring me do- okay, g- Congratulations on your cats. Bring me dogs. Open a dog cafe. I'll give you all of my money. I'll, I'll buy everything on your menu. Just bring me all of the corgis. We need some more entrepreneurs here in Raleigh to open some more pet cafes for us. I'll provide five corgi startup funds. Um... Just just please, I, I need dogs and coffee. 
Definitely looking forward to this shop, though. All right. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. As always, if you heard anything you liked, hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle week after next right here on WKNC. I'd like to thank our contributor, Ricky Douse, as well as the rest of our staff here at Eye on the Triangle. Our intro and outro music is Connie by L1011. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver, still wishing you a Wednesday great afternoon.